This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Ryan Bruss. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our guest is Robin McMillan. And Robin, you are a, a local pastor. You're yes. here at, uh, for many years. How many years were you the pastor at Morningstar with Rick Joyner? I was on the staff 14, and I pastored the church there with Rick for 11. Wow. 11 of the 14. So you've got to see a lot of stuff. We have seen some stuff. Yes, <laughs> and sir. there's no way that we can cover even superficially all the things that you've seen and encountered with the Lord. You're one of those that has had many encounters with God. Yeah. But the one that we want to highlight uh, today on this program is the encounter that you had with the Lord not too long ago uh, having to do with hope. And Robin, mm-hmm. you, you have this deep revelation of hope and uh the working here for Sid Roth, I see the prayer requests that come in, yeah. a lot of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And as a pastor, and I'm a pastor as well, there's a lot of hopelessness because uh, marriages may be crumbling, kids may be backsliding, finances are not doing well. Well, I have to tell you, and I feel the presence of the Lord as I'm saying this, your book covers all of that. Yeah. How to get out of that place of hopelessness, no matter what situation you're right, in, right. and bring you into a place of hope. Now, uh, if you could just dive right in, take your time, talk about this amazing prophetic encounter that you had about hope. Oh, I'd love to. Um, I was preaching, or about to preach at a conference um, up in the Alexandria, D.C., Virginia area, and as can happen to me in those situations. Um, I was met with some spiritual resistance, which can come in the form of depression or confusion. And I woke up in the hotel room um, five in the morning by myself, and I thought, "Mm, I'm not putting up with this. I'm going on the offensive. And so I thought, I know I'm going to speak out loud, to the best of my knowledge, a good part of Psalm 91. So I just went at it. And this is uh, the, the Macmillan translation of the right. first five or six verses. So I said, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no evil foe can withstand. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. On Him will I lean and rely, and in Him will I confidently trust. For surely then He shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover me with His feathers, and under His wings I shall take refuge. His truth shall be my shield and buckler. And I started feeling better. And so I'm of the philosophy of once is good, twice is better. <laughs> I like that. So I took another lap, and right. I, won't, I won't go through all that again. And as I did, Ryan, now this was a, this was a Hilton hotel. It was no one-star hotel. Right. In, in this Hilton hotel room, I looked up, and there was um, an opening in the ceiling. It looked like almost ductwork or something. And having had some prophetic encounters before— I had an idea that, oh, okay, the Lord's doing something here. And I knew if I jumped up into that duct, I would shoot into the heavens and have an encounter with the Lord. Wow. 
And that's one thing about prophetic encounters. You just know things. You just know things. You're not necessarily— You don't always have to be told something. You just know in your spirit what you're supposed to yeah, do. What, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you're not always taking instructions or right. getting instructed. You just know some things. That's the nature of it. So when I jumped in that ductwork, I went flying through what some have called the second heaven— where the prince of the power uh, of the air resides, say, or demons. And I heard these demons shouting, stop, hey, you can't come through here. But I knew they couldn't stop me, and I started laughing at them, (laughs) which is, you know, sort of scary. And then, boom, I land in a heavenly place, and I'm thinking, but it was a little shadowy. And I thought, wait a minute, this should be really bright and, you know. And then I looked up, and I was under this huge brown wing. I don't know how tall, 18 feet, 20 feet. I don't know, huge. And when I looked at the underside of that wing, it had softball or grapefruit-sized precious stones, and it looked like fine metals, like maybe, I don't know, platinum, gold, silver. But they weren't applique they were exuding from it because I recognized that is a very precious wing I'm looking at. Well, then it suddenly dawned on me. I had just been prophesying by praying Psalm 91. Uh, I was under the wing of the great eagle. Wow. Verse uh, 4, he shall cover me with his feathers and under his wings I shall take refuge. So in my troubles, I began to prophesy the word and had this encounter and wound up under the wing of the great eagle. Now, for those who are listening, uh, could you define the great eagle? What does that mean? Well, it's a picture of of the Lord. Okay. It's a picture of the Lord, and it says in several places in the scripture that we can come under his protection, under under his wing. And he carried Israel on Eagle's wings, that's right. So it's another one of the symbolic pictures of the Lord that is a place of refuge, a place of safety, and even a a place of the prophetic, you know, in the the heavens, soaring in the heavens. And then there's Isaiah 41, um, they will run and not be weary, but they will mount up with wings like eagles. And so there's a whole other idea there. So as I'm there, the Lord reveals to me, and I cannot say I actually saw this with my natural eyes, but I, I saw these five wagons. But they were old wagons. They were ancient wagons, almost like you would see on an old wagon train or something, right. wooden. And they were full. I mean, believe this or not, they were so full, I could hear substance falling out of those wagons and landing on the floor of my hotel room. <laughs> wow. Because in those encounters, I didn't go anywhere, so right. to speak. I was yeah. like two places at one in time. In the body, out of the body. Uh, you yeah, know. who knows? Yeah. And so the Lord revealed to me these five wagons. And as I understood it, my job was to come back and proclaim that which God had provided for us. Now, if you wouldn't mind, talk about what these five wagons were and what they represented, and then we'll come back and talk about each one. Sure. Well, the first wagon, two of them were deliverance wagons. Wow. The first one was a wagon of deliverance from deserved, I want that to register, deserved consequences, something God wants to give us. Yes. The second was a wagon of deliverance from criticism and the critical spirit, meaning um, we, we can almost be malformed 
through criticism, the words people have spoken over us or to us, but we can also harm our own lives by being critical, criticism, unforgiveness, and reaping those results. So deliverance from criticism in the critical spirit. Wagon number three was in a wagon of abundant hope. Wagon number four was a wagon of provision. And wagon number five was called a wagon of a new vision for the United States. That is so powerful. And all these wagons, this ties in with the story of Joseph, which I love the parallel in the book, exactly. in the CD series, a Harbinger of Hope. Uh, talk about that just for a minute, about how these wagons, the Lord showed you, it's all tied in with the story of Joseph. Sure. Well, the Lord told me, or I knew, here it is, it's not all instruction. Some of it is you in these encounters, you just know things. And I knew, or the Lord showed me, that I would understand the whole idea behind the wagons as I understood the story of the restoration of Jacob and all of Jacob's sons to Joseph, his so-called favorite son. And so when I went back and I read that story, it struck me that for 22 years, Jacob was heartbroken over something that had never happened. Mm, which was good. the death of his son. That's and good. that is so significant because it means it's not what happens to you that hurts you. It's what you think. Wow. Wow. It's what you think. So after Joseph is sold into slavery, uh, he goes through all of his preparation to rule. He has the dream about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. They go through the seven years of plenty and the second year, of the seven-year famine, his brothers show up, and they go through this process of reconciliation, and then Joseph does this. He sends wagons and word back to his father. And so his brothers come back, and they say to Jacob, they say, Joseph's alive. And it says, in essence, that it gave Jacob a heart attack. <laughs> right. It says remember. his heart failed him, right. so who knows what that means. Right. Then it says, but when he believed the words of Joseph and saw the wagons, which were either filled with the goodness of Egypt, it was at least to transport sure. him back to safety, yeah. it said, Jacob's heart revived. Wow. And that's the first place in the scripture the word revive is used. And then the very next verse says, and Israel said, so Jacob goes from totally depressed to the new man, God showed him he was at the River Jabbok. Wow. In one second, because he believed the good news that the one he thought was dead was not dead, not only alive, but in charge. And so Jacob, there's actually a picture to me of like an unbelieving church world who's living as though Jesus is really not alive. Right. And so they haul his whole family back, all their possessions, everything they have, and give them the land of Goshen, which was the very best part of Egypt to dwell. And Goshen means drawing near. And there's the idea there, you get the, you get the very best of the land as you draw near God. And it's not just about provision, it's about your life in God. Now, the idea behind the wagons was this. They had these old spoke wheels, and a wagon's pulled by the tongue. And the Lord showed me the way you access 
what's in those wagons is through faith, maybe in some cases repentance and faith, and the spoken word, the proclamation, because what's in the wagons belongs to you. Belongs to you. And the idea of the wheels, spoke wheels, spoken wheels, and the tongue. Nice. With the heart man believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is leads to salvation. That's why the wagons, the connection with Jacob becoming Israel, and because of, of the idea of the spoken word, the proclamation of faith. So the people that are listening, in a sense, need to hear the wagons are coming their way. They're, <laughs> they're co- Listen, they're yeah. here, baby. They are here. <laughs> right. Okay, so I'm excited about this. I want to talk about the five wagons uh, briefly here. Uh, we, we only have a, a short time to do it. But uh, wagon number one, you talk about deliverance from deserved consequences. Yes. Now— that's a pretty big statement because in the natural, we all deserve the consequences that come as a result right. of the mistakes that we've made, the, the sins that we've committed. Uh, but, but this is a very significant wagon. Talk about yes. this. Well, a friend of mine used to say, if God doesn't forgive or didn't forgive, heaven would be empty. Right. And so the truth of the matter is, No one receives grace unless they have the truth of their need or their behavior. And the idea there, deliverance from deserved consequences, to me is there's no one who's done anything that is so far from the grace of God that they can't deal with their personal issues, responsibilities, and receive everything God has for them. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's pick on a situation. Let's say someone is not trusting in the Lord for their finances and they get deeper and deeper in debt and you know they're at poverty level because of all the decisions that they've yeah. made and and uh the consequences let's be honest they're working three jobs uh the spouse is working three jobs they're trying to keep food on the table their car is breaking down their house is in disrepair all these things are happening because there's so much debt on them yeah so this this wagon that you're talking about the natural deserved consequences you're just going to have to get through this you got yourself into exactly. this debt. exactly and so where does the lord come in for deserved consequence Let's say that they're getting their heart right, and, and, and you talk about repentance as a key and all this, but let's say they come to the place of desperation and they repent mm-hmm. for the way they got themselves into this mess. Mm-hmm. What is this wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences going to do for that person? Well, what I think it does for them um, at first is there's a heart reconciliation between themselves and the Lord. Yes. In other words, they, they begin to believe God really cares about them to the degree that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the Scripture tells us. Now, God can do so many things. Who could list them all? Um, how he wants to bring deliverance, he's got so many different ways to do it. Some of it you may just have to work your way through as a responsible believer, quite frankly. Right. Uh, some of it you could be forgiven of in the sense of debts forgiven. Other times God could just provide for you in a supernatural way. One of the things that, that's sort of a crazy idea, I heard this guy talking about, that God can remedy things in ways that we would not think he would. Right. But I heard this guy say that, you know, in the garden, Peter chopped off the ear of the high priest's servant and was worthy of death. 
for that one single act. What right. did Jesus do? Well, he destroyed the evidence. Right. <laughs> that's good. I've he never destroyed heard the before. evidence. Now, that's one way to look yeah. at it, and that's a little scary. But I'm not a guy, I'm not a proponent of not taking responsibility for your behavior. Right. Because to me, that is a key ingredient in a healthy Christian life. But let me read what's in your teaching, because I yeah. love this. You say, let's say that you're in a mess. You got yourself in that mess. You deserve to be in that mess. I mean, I, yeah. I can relate because I've been there. Uh, what does God want to do for you? He wants to deliver you from what you deserve. The bad news is that you're in a mess. The good news is that God has a solution. So you, what you're saying is, yeah, you're in a mess, but he is so good and his mercy endures forever. Exactly. That wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences, you're going to be okay. Yeah. And that's where this whole harbinger of hope, this is one area right. of that. Right. Is that right? Right, yeah. So let's go on to wagon number two. Uh, deliverance from criticism and the critical spirit. Talk about that. Well, I think about this example and the examples in the book. The way animal trainers train elephants to behave is when they're very small, they put a chain around their ankle or maybe even a rope and tie them to a small stake. And they never increase the size of the stake. They never really increase the size of the rope as the elephant size increases. Now, what's happened is he has grown so used to being bound by that stake and that rope, although he could break free from it, it never crosses his mind that he can't. Well, that's what criticism can do. That's what um, harmful words can do to a person, it can affect their minds to the degree that the way they see themselves is the way they behave and the way their life goes. A whole identity issue. It's actually a true identity issue. That's what God wants to deliver people from. He wants to deliver people from the words and the effects of words spoken to them, over them, or about them that has misformed them in their character and in their destiny and their calling. And again, your whole teaching is about the harbinger of hope, a declarer, forerunner of hope. This is another area that you're describing where hopelessness sets in because our identity is shot. Well, you won't believe beyond what you can see. Mm. For you yourself. Really, for yourself. Yeah. You really won't. And if, if you think you're a loser, if you think you can never amount to anything, that's the way you relate to situations um, that affect you. Now, it, it says about not trusting the Lord. It says they that don't trust the Lord are like a heath in the desert. They will not see good when good comes. In other words, because of the disposition of their heart or the effect words have had to make them a negative person, they need help. Help comes and they don't even see it because of their heart condition. That is so good. And in the story of Joseph, you tie that all in because talk about somebody who had identity issues. You know? Oh, boy. I mean, from his father saying, you're the man, to the brother saying, you're not, uh, to getting sold into slavery. Potiphar's and, wife Potiphar, accusation. Exactly. I mean, who am I? He's thrown yeah. in prison. He knows. Uh, but then at the end of Joseph's life, you talk about in your book about Manasseh and Ephraim. Right. Uh, Manasseh being uh, causing to forget, and Ephraim means uh, double fruitfulness. So exactly. at the end, all that hope was restored even through his sons. Well, the naming of his sons, like you just mentioned, are a prophetic picture of how Joseph coped with the things that had happened to him. He had so to good. forgive, too. Yeah, of course. He wasn't yeah. this guy that was such a spectacular superstar in the spirit realm that things didn't affect him. No, because nobody's that way. Right. Everybody comes by the way of the cross. Right. Everybody has issues. 
but how successfully do you deal with them? Well, in his case, he named one of his children Manassas, like you said, one of his named Ephraim, Manassas causing to forget. So good. And then Ephraim means double fruitfulness. And um, because he became fruitful. He became fruitful in a place where most people, if they had not had known the Lord, would never have survived. You know what I'm seeing, Robin? Hope is knowing that God will one day cause you to forget the trouble that you've been through. Exactly. I, I love that. I love exactly. that how I see that through this. Now, let me, let me interject there. Yeah. I have something I've recently seen and heard. Jesus is freshly resurrected. He's right out of the tomb. And one of the first things he says to the disciples is this. He says, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And I heard a guy develop this idea. You will never be fully equipped to be happy unless you recognize trouble is a necessary aspect of life. It's true. In the world you shall have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So you have to realize I'm going to have problems. Now, there's some we bring on ourselves that we shouldn't. But you're not going to escape every issue. You're not. But the hope is everything's going to be okay because Jesus has overcome it's the world. It's that Romans 8, 28. Yes. For we know. All things. All things. Actually, the, the Greek, the language says, for we know that God works all things yes. together for good for those who love him, the called according to his purpose. Love that. And wagon number three, and I know you, you go in such detail in your book in three CD set uh, about all these things, but wagon number three is called Abundant Hope. Talk about that for a moment. Well, there is a translation of um, the New Testament called the Weist translation. Yes. And he translates Romans 8, 24 and 25 this way. For we were saved in the sphere of hope. Mm. Now, what that means is when you got saved, hope chose you. That's good. You see, one of the problems with believers is they don't know what to have. Right. I mean, well, here's what you have. First chapter of Ephesians. You have been seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. You're sitting in everything you need. But Romans 5.1 says we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And one idea is you, you're standing in a grace you still have to access by faith. So we're saved in the sphere of hope. What that means is we're saved in an atmosphere of hope. Then if you recognize that Christ in us is the hope of glory, we are in a bubble of hope, and the man of hope is inside us, but we get too distracted. We don't recognize what God has for us. Wow. Our minds need to be renewed, it says in Romans 8, by the Word of God. But hope that has been seen is not hope for that which a person sees. Why does he hope for it? But if that's what we do not see, we hope for it through patience. We expectantly wait for it. So we have this abundance of hope, but it's a relational hope. Absolutely. It's not an automatic experience of hope. It's a relational hope that has to grow and develop through a personal relationship with Christ Jesus, our hope. We have to renew our minds by the word of God to stay in that kind of disposition because we have many adversaries that do not want us to be hope-filled. And you talk about this in your book, and, and we'll talk about it a little later with the, the wagon of hope having to do with the United States. Is, uh, if, if you're to turn on the news and just watch it 
stay home from work and just watched all day. Hopeless. Uh, (laughs) You know, uh, recently another shooting from uh, the wildfires to the natural disasters to uh, the politics. If we don't do what you just said, understand the hope from within. Exactly. It's going to feel hopeless. Now, here's another thing I like to say about hope. Hope is the atmosphere of heaven. I like that. Hope is spiritual oxygen. Hope is 2020 night vision. That's good. Hope is built on the faithfulness of God, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now, thanks be to God, who always, oh my, really? Who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And then when I say hope, we're saved in that sphere of hope. Hope's like a spiritual bubble or sphere. Abiding in that sphere creates attitudes of confidence it becomes the inward spiritual environment that fortifies our patience, sustains the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hoped for. Your faith will never rise above the level of your sustained hope. Wow, that's good. And Romans 15, 13, it's, it's this um, circle of life, let's call it. Now may the God of hope fill you. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, it's a believing orientation, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Abounding in hope. There it is. Come on. And I'm going to read something. You're going to like this because you wrote it. But <laughs> but I, I've never heard faith, hope, and love, the three of those defined like this. You say this. Right. Hope says, I think this will work out, but don't know how or when. Faith says things have already worked out even before they do in an actual experience. Love says, and I love this, even if they don't work out even if they or don't. that I don't understand what's going on, <laughs> nothing can separate me from the affection that God has for me. And then you say the reality is faith works by love and is the substance of things hoped for. I mean, that's powerful. That's it right there. You should buy the book and CD set just from that. You should buy two of them. <laughs> well, in fact, speaking of which, leaders um, in the body uh, of Messiah, leaders right now are writing you saying they've read, I'm talking about international leaders that have, are yeah. reading your book yeah. and then stopping and they're rereading the whole thing again. It's impacting exactly. that much. So talk about that for a moment. What is this book in CD set going to do for the people at home? Well, when I talk about the harbinger of hope, my name is Robin. And a robin is a bird, the first bird to show up in springtime. The robin is the harbinger of spring. And the Lord's made me a harbinger. What do I mean by that? When People will listen to the gospel in my meetings, anybody's meetings, but when they will listen to the gospel, springtime comes. Mm, That's good. This book is my life message in 190 pages, and the sole purpose behind this book is to release a level of hope that will transform a person and a family and a neighborhood and a church and our nation. And I know that you're listening, and the Lord already showed me, and Robin, I've never said this before, I don't think, on the air, uh, that when you speak, both on this podcast and in the show with Sid Roth, that people were going to feel hope begin to rise, because you have a real anointing and presence for that. Yeah. The other thing is, when I was reading Psalm 91, anyone who reads Psalm 91 and listens to what you're saying, it will change your atmosphere. 
Absolutely. It will change I was going to ask atmosphere. you about that at the beginning. Yeah. When, when you prayed and declared that, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Sure. When you prayed and declared that, he that dwelleth in a secret place of is that happening to everybody who's declaring and believing that? Are they being surrounded at that moment by the great eagle, so to speak? Well, the great eagle in the sense of the presence of God. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Matter of fact, one of the keys there, and I think a lot of people have missed this. You see it a little bit better in, in the Amplified. It says, I will say of the Lord in verse 2. Then verse 3 says, for surely then he shall deliver me. And we must never give up the reality that the strength of the help from God is embedded in his word and his word releases that power mm. as we believe it, it and speak it. Steve Wilbur, a personal friend of mine, and, and he used to say that the word of God is like potent spiritual jello that releases its power in a warm, meditative heart that proclaims what it says. That's good. Because the power's in that word. Yes, of course. It's yes. in that word. Yeah. And, and Robin, uh, let's go on to wagon number four. I love this one because it talks a lot about the blessing of God. What is wagon number four? Wagon number four is a great provision or ultimate provision. And one of the ways I saw that was in my encounter, that wagon was so overloaded, I could actually hear what was in it falling out, landing in the floor. That's incredible. And the picture, here we go back to the picture of Joseph and Jacob and Jacob's restoration. Most people understand Egypt as a picture of bondage right? and Pharaoh as the devil, but types and shadows change based on context, rather. In the story of the restoration of Jacob to Joseph, Egypt in that segment of the Bible represented heaven and all its abundance. Jesus is represented by Joseph. He was the one that thought was dead, was not dead, but was, was alive and in charge. And Jacob represents the unbelieving believer, we could say. Right. And so when Jacob, the unbelieving believer, sees that Joseph or Jesus is alive and willing to help them, they can access all the abundance of heaven. Now, I think they're practical ways. I think personal generosity is is a way that you can access the blessings of heaven. Give and it shall be given unto yes, you. Good measure. Yes, and I have I have one testimony in particular. Being a pastor and having four kids at one point, we were trying to put them all through college that wanted to go anyway. We needed money. And so I never ask for money or beg for money, you know. I try to practice faith in the right way. Not that you don't have supporters. I'm not saying that at all. But I told my wife, I said, I've got this idea. I think it's the Lord. She said, well, what is it? I said, let's take $1,000 out of our home equity and go give it to a missionary. Wow. And so she said, ooh, okay. <laughs> so we gave it to a dear friend of mine. It's a remarkable missionary. All this happened with the confines of seven days. I gave him a check for $1,000, and I said, I want you to have this. I like what you're doing. I want to support you. He went to bed that night. We're all in this conference together. He went to bed that night, and the Lord said, write Robin a check for $2,000 and tell him it's seed for the sower. Wow. So he gives me a check. Okay, I've, I've gone from 1000 to $2,000 in need, but I was given it based on it's seed for the sower. So we gave that money away. 
actually to another missionary, helped him buy a car, and, and we split it up two different ways. And um, a man walked up to me within that week who knew nothing about any of this. None of this was broadcast. I hadn't told a soul, but my wife and the man I gave that money, he had a dream. He wrote us a check for $10,000, just handed it to us. He said, the Lord showed me to do this. So that is one way. That is an aspect that you live by faith. And in this, uh, in your teaching, this this fourth wagon, ultimate provision, you talk about how we can access the blessings of heaven. Yeah. And you remind the people that there is no lack up in heaven. And well, the Lord's prayer. Exactly. Yeah. And I love how you talked about this even. Jesus turned the water into wine uh, when it was needed. He fed the thousands. He healed the multitudes of sick people. He paid the temple tax and raised the dead. He did it because you teach that he knew how to access the unlimited yes. provision yes. in heaven. Talk about yes. that. Well, it always takes faith. And each person needs a personal revelation of how to access that. But here's the idea and here's the reality. It's, it's a reality. It's a truth. We don't make it a truth. It is a truth. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the place of abundance. I have actually told people, listen, you have a need in your life. You need healing. Maybe you need finances. Here's what we're going to do. I say the kingdom of heaven's at hand. I say, how many of you have hands? You know, just to make it <laughs> right, right. I said, okay, kingdom's at hand. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to reach in to the realm of the heavens and lay hold of what we need and release it. I've seen people healed that way. One woman came up to me and said, you'll never believe what happened. I said, well, tell me. Well, my daughter's broke. She was sitting by me in the meeting. I didn't have any money either. And I knew she was broker and I was. So when you said reach into the heavens, I reached in and laid hold of finances and she didn't even see me. I just stuck my hand on her pocketbook and a man gave her a $250 check walking out the door tonight mm. that doesn't even know her. Because God has unlimited provision for each By one of faith. us. By faith, exactly. And exactly. so that, that is wagon number four, and there's so much about all these wagons that we just can't possibly touch. Uh, but let's touch on the last one before we talk about hopelessness, uh, just in general, sure. because of this whole teaching. Now, wagon five is a new vision for the United States. What did the Lord show you briefly about that? Well, he did not give me a whole lot of particulars. He just told me our nation could change based on accessing those first four wagons. But he did show me this. There is um, a new wave. This is what I, I'm believing, that there's a new wave of racial reconciliation coming to the nation. We need that right now. There's a new wave of racial reconciliation that's coming to the nation. And he showed me this friend of mine, a missionary down in um, Argentina, was telling me that there was a place down there called the Impenetrable or the Impenetrable Region. And it became a desolate region years ago when white Argentinians were enslaving the Indians. And so the Indians blessed their own land so they wouldn't come in there. And so it became a very uh, barren land. Actually, my friend Jim Hill said, you went down there a couple of years ago, you would see trees growing out of former rivers. They'd be in the riverbeds, no river. And there was a powerful time of restoration between the Native Americans and the Argentine white pastors. And a huge wind began to blow and a huge rainstorm came in there. And the entire region has become so transformed now that they are shipping produce. It actually affected the agricultural production of that land. 
In other words, when there was true reconciliation, it changed that nation. You talk about in that wagon how Joseph preserved the lineage of the Messiah and just through his obedience and, yes. and so on and so forth. But you talk about it's time to draw near to God. It's time exactly. to preserve why we're here as Christians and the Messiah's return and, and so on and so forth. That's part of the vision uh, about not even focusing on our current condition, but what the promises of God are for this nation. Well, when um, Joseph brought Jacob back, Pharaoh gave them the land of Goshen as their home. And Goshen literally means drawing near. And see, we have this awesome Bible promise. You want to say, where does hope come from? Hope comes from the awesome promises of the Scripture. Absolutely. And the Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, speaking of drawing near to God, uh, Robin, we just have a, about five minutes left. Uh, your your book, Harbinger of Hope, and three CDs set, wonderful teaching, very informative and revelatory. And when you read this book, for those of you listening and listen to this CD set, I'm telling you, no matter where you are, what you're doing, you're going to feel hope arise in your spirit, and in your heart, and you're going to have the confidence, the confident hope that things are going to start to begin to shift for you as you access what is in these wagons that's already falling exactly. out. It's overflowing. So just for a moment, Robin, talk about hopelessness. Do you talk about that hopelessness is a delusion and it's a consequence of our inaccurate belief system? There's a lot of people listening that are in a hopeless state, and you just gave them briefly a teaching of all that's provided for them. Right. What are the beginning steps to begin to see themselves out of this hopeless situation that they're in? Well, it's only the truth you believe. Absolutely. That sets you free. I was hoping you would say that, It's only the truth you believe that sets you free. And many people are convinced— of things in their hearts and minds, they, they believe, and the fruit of it is not love, joy, and peace. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He wasn't talking just about Bible truth necessarily or only. The truth about yourself. It's the affecting truth about you. A, it is. It, it, it is. affects you. Now, one of the things that strike me is the great prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah actually charges the Lord. He says, um, will you be to me like a dried up spring, like someone that doesn't keep your word? Jeremiah's going through this in chapter 15. And you see this more clearly in an amplified translation. But the Lord comes to Jeremiah and he says, if you return, give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair. Wow. That's what a lot of, it's a mistaken tone, but they're convinced of it. But what you believe rules you. So it's about getting back to the Bible. It is. And believing the promises. And believing in the good nature of God. Faith, hope, and love. love. So the Lord says to the great prophet, not not some half-hearted believer, the great prophet had to deal with this. Wow. If you return, give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety, and you will be my minister. And if you separate the precious from the vile, cleansing your own heart from unworthy suspicions concerning God's faithfulness, 
you should be my mouthpiece. And here's what the Lord's saying. He doesn't want hopeless people speaking on his behalf. Right, absolutely. He doesn't. He doesn't. And so if the great prophet had that challenge, it's, it's a pretty common challenge. But listen, ladies and gentlemen, that tone of distrust and despair is mistaken. It's not what God gives you. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. That's right. The enemy will try to put in your mind thoughts that you think are your thoughts, but rebuke him. No, stop. Give that up. And if you cleanse your own heart from unworthy suspicions, being suspicious of God's motives is the very thing that got Adam and Eve in this mess in the original Garden of Eden. They suspected God's motivations weren't good. And so they did what they shouldn't have done through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, I'll make you my mouthpiece. Listen, there are pastors and leaders within the sound of my voice right now. And the Lord is saying this, if you will give this up, if you will give up those mistaken tones, if you will cleanse your own hearts from unworthy suspicions, ladies and gentlemen, I will make you once again my mouthpiece. Pray for them, Robin, uh, the people at home. Oh, Father, we do. We pray now for all of these dear people that are listening to this broadcast. Lord, release the great love you have for them. Release that great confidence in the accuracy and the truthfulness of your word. And let the love of God bless them richly, cause them to enter into the great abundance of the gospel. Let them recognize that the trouble they're in, maybe they didn't bring it on themselves, but you are God big enough to save, to heal, to rescue, and to deliver. And we release the power of your word now by the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I know you felt hope rising in your spirit like I did, and you've been listening to Messianic Vision with our guest Robin McMillan. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get this special resource. Do you want your hope strengthened? Have you ever found yourself feeling hopeless? I'm sure you have. In a time when hope seems rare, where politics, relationships, and finances disappoint, Robin McMillan weaves together a practical approach that came from heaven for a hope-filled life that is full of practical yet profound insights into God's intentions for a lifetime of hope. In his new book and three CD set, Harbinger of Hope, there is no greater message needed today than the message of hope. Call now for Robin's new book and three CD set, Harbinger of Hope, for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H. .org. Robin McMillan's new book and three CD set, Harbinger of Hope, offer number 9659 for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars. Be sure to ask for offer number 9659. Once again, that's offer number 9659.